Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Previously On, a podcast series created to help you through some of the most complex yet brilliant television ever made. Hello everybody, how are you doing? Uh, it's Jamie East here and welcome to a slightly different uh, episode of Previously On. I hope you've been well. It's been a while since you've heard from us, certainly uh, in non-recap form. I think since I last kind of spoke to you one-on-one, we've done Stranger Things, we've done Big Little Lies, uh, we've done Peaky Blinders, a whole load of stuff. Uh, But now I wanted to talk to you about a series that starts this Monday, the 21st of October 2019 uh, in the UK. Uh, It's on Sky Atlantic. It's called Watchmen. And I think it's something that you guys are going to really, really like. You know, if you listen to this podcast, you're into the same kind of things I am. You know, obviously you probably started listening because of Game of Thrones and because of Thronecast. And then hopefully you've stuck around for the other shows that we've covered as well. Uh, But Watchmen is something... It's kind of different, really, because it comes with a large degree of expectation, um, of trepidation. Uh, it's got a big history. It's got a hell of a lot of backstory. And uh, it's 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 an intriguing, intriguing project. So what I wanted to do, what I thought would be useful was rather than do a recap, because there is no there is no recap as such to do with Watchmen. I wanted to give you guys a bit of insight into the legacy of Watchmen, um, because it's 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 been around for a long, long time. So I've done that by having a chat to uh, a friend of mine called Andrew Harrison, uh, who presents a bunch of really cool podcasts, which he speaks about in a minute. Um, I've known Andrew for a long time, and he knows his comic book stuff. Uh, but before we get to that, I'll give you a kind of a kind of snapshot of what Watchmen is going to be about. Then we'll go and have a chat to Andrew. And then, in the meantime, I'm going to go off and watch the first episode and give you a kind of non-spoilery kind of review slash preview of it. So, what the hell is Watchmen? Well, thank you for asking. Um, It's a TV series that is uh, coming to HBO and Sky Atlantic. It is created uh, and developed by Damon Lindelof, uh, who you will know as... uh, one of the kind of geniuses behind Lost. Um, its history is that it, it was a, originally a 12-part comic series 
uh, of the same name, created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. It was then made into a movie by Zack Snyder in 2009 uh, to very, very mixed reviews. Um, it has since then kind of gone around the houses a bit, which we speak, um, which we speak to to Andrew about, and he fills you in on a bit where Terry Gilliam was involved and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the actual series that starts on Monday, I've discovered all of this since my chat to Andrew. So there's a, we're slightly pissing in the wind a little bit during our chat because we didn't have all of the details in front of us. But what we know now is that uh, the Watchmen series isn't a, a direct adaptation of the film or the comics um it's going to be remixed it's kind of basically setting itself in the watchmen universe but with a brand new story um it's going to have a few of the characters uh, that you will have known about if you've watched the watchmen movie before uh for instance uh dr manhattan the former silk specter and ozymandias is going to be in there to some degree. Uh, but the main premise is that the Watchmen takes place in an alternative contemporary reality in the US uh, with vigilantes who have become outlawed due to their violent methods, um, which the, the the trailer pretty much uh, kind of sets that up quite well. And the vigilantes have a very distinctive mask, uh, which we talk about shortly. It takes place in uh, Tulsa, uh, in an alternative reality in 2019, and it's 34 years after uh, the comic has ended. Robert Redford is the... Imagine imagine that. Imagine a celebrity becoming a president. Uh, is the longest-serving president uh, of the States. He got elected in 1992. Um, and uh, a white supremacy group of Rorschach followers, that name's quite important, uh, have started attacking houses of police members the cast this is, the cast sounds amazing we've got regina king uh we've got don johnson we've got tim blake nelson we've got louis gossett jr we have got jeremy irons uh it's it's it looks great the trailer looks fantastic i'm sat there uh with um the uh, the first episode all good to go which i've been uh lucky enough to to have a look at so what i'm going to do is i'm going to disappear leave you uh, with the chat that I had with Andrew Harrison, which gives you uh, a, a, a kind of potted history about comic books and The Watchmen in particular and its, and its kind of long journey to the screens. So by the time you finish this podcast, it won't feel as though you're going in completely cold because it's quite a dense. And I think knowing the backstory will really help you uh, with the series. Anyway, that's enough of my waffle. I'm going to leave you now with Andrew Harrison. And when I come back at the end of it, uh, I'll have watched the first episode and I'll let you know uh, what you've got in store. Okay, bye. I am joined by journalist, podcaster... Uh, massive nerd. Massive nerd uh, and, and good friend, uh, Andrew Harrison. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Very good. And thank you so much for agreeing to come on and basically talk me as well as the listeners through what's quite a dense history and and kind of legacy of, yes. of of Watchmen. It's dense. It's a dense book. It's a dense set of ideas. The story around it is dense and complicated. Um, it has lots of different resonances. Mm. Um, there's, you know, the, there's the original, I'm not going to call it a graphic novel because it was comics. It was, yeah. a, it was a 12 part comic series. And I was lucky enough to read it as a 12 part series with the cliffhangers as Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons intended. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is fantastic because yeah, 
I mean, if you're familiar with the story, you know that it is it's heavy on the twists because it is ultimately a pulp fiction story. It's a pacey it's a noir. Whodunit, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a whodunit, which becomes a, uh, a it, within the world of a superhero story, which becomes a conspiracy, but is also a huge meta narrative about what superheroes are. Yeah, and why are we fascinated with them? Was it an instant hit? How did it how did it come about? It was. Um, it was pretty much an instant hit. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons had made their bones in British comics in 2000 AD, the, the greatest part of, the greatest <laughs> thing in British culture since the Beatles. Your and favourite House, 2000 yeah. AD, the greatest thing ever. Um, and, you know, Alan Moore had written fantastic, clever stories uh, with twists and with psychological depth. Dave Gibbons, you know, a, a strong, you know, candidate for the greatest British comics artist of modern times. Beautiful compositions, incredibly powerful uh, imagination. Watchmen, the, the comic series, began as Alan Moore wanting to reinvent a series of old superheroes. People like the Blue Beetle that yeah. nobody's ever heard of. Even I've barely heard of. I think it was Charlton Comics. I'm not entirely sure. I think, I think it was Charlton Comics. And the Atom and, and all these kind of 1930s, 1940s characters who very much... You know, the sort of like they're referred to as golden age yeah. when comics were simple. Kind of um, like the, pro, the, the the kind of prologue to the Incredibles. Yeah, era, yeah. When yeah. it was when everything was simple and brightly coloured and uh, you know kind of morally uh, you know easy to absorb. Mm -hmm. um, and he had this idea that he would use uh, and it, you know watch about it, numerous numerous iterations. But the idea was that he would take these these heroes and maybe look at them as as if they inhabited something like the real world. And he would look more more than their powers and the crime fighting. You would look at the psychology of what made them who they are. Yeah. Um, you know, what makes a person dress up as an owl and go and fight crime? <laughs> Obviously, Night Owl is a very thinly veiled Batman. What makes, uh, you know, what, 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 you know, what would make a sociopathic individual like the character of the comedian in Watchmen? How could he be a hero? How would he be tolerated yeah. in it? So, so basically, all of the characters in Watchmen are spins on superhero archetypes. Doctor Manhattan, giant blue guy. He was based on the atom, but essentially he is the god archetype in yeah. superheroes. This is what Superman would really be if Superman was genuinely an ultimately powerful individual. This weirdly spiritual and detached kind of being. On an entirely yeah. different plane to yeah. whom we're just ants, you know. And, and I think he's, I think there, there's bits in the, in the series where he says, uh, you know, someone dies and he says, well, a, a, a dead and a living body contain the same number of atoms. There's really no difference at all. Yeah. And I think Silk Spectre, his girl, Silk Spectre too, his girlfriend. Never get Doctor Manhattan to do a eulogy for you. No, no, because he'd just be like, "Today we say goodbye to a box of atoms." That's my boy. Yeah, um, you know, he sees humanity as just you know almost very nearly beneath his notice. Yeah, he kind of inhabits a kind of quantum universe, and um, and also in an idea that Alan Moore borrowed from Kurt Vonnegut's. Uh, brilliant aliens, the Tralfamadorians, he can see all of time at once. He exists in four dimensions. So to him, 1956 and now and the future and three weeks ago are all happening at the same time and he can see them all clearly. And these are kind of tropes that now we're kind of quite used to having to kind of cope with the whole multiverse, the whole kind of, say, like yeah. something like uh, Villeneuve's Arrival yeah. uh, that with with the time is now. Perceptions and then, of time. And perception, yeah, yeah. Even, even down to, uh, of course, the, the quantum realm. Absolutely, quantum realm. Um, yeah. Well, the, 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 the Dr. Manhattan take on it is, is, is quite sophisticated because, you know, the book is called Watchmen, the idea of men like watches, what makes them take, what puts them together. He can see all the machinery. He can, and, and actually, we discover later in the, as the series progresses, his father was a watchmaker. Right. Um, so you've got the God archetype, then you've got Rorschach, the vigilante yeah. archetype, this immensely uh, brutal individual 
with the with, you know the mask of the Rorschach blot into which you can read anything. Hmm. And of course, what you see in a Rorschach blot tells you about yourself, not what you're looking at. Rorschach is a combination of a character created by Steve Ditko called Mr. A. And Mr. A... Good name. Astonishing thing was Mr. A's... He was basically an Ayn Randite super... Uh, he's not even super, actually. An Ayn Randite comics character who believes in moral absolutism. Steve Ditko, a very complicated, very strange character. The guy who drew, designed Spider-Man, drew the original Doctor Strange in imagination like, like no one else. So Rorschach, who combines not just Mr. A, but also the kind of... the, the you know, elements of Batman in that he's completely driven and he's a, he's a nighttime character and he, he's brutal and he has this insatiable need to um, impress revenge on, on, on the world for, uh, you know, childhood wrongs. But also there's a bit of Wolverine there. He never gives up. He never stops. He's antisocial. He's a loner. Yeah. And then you've got Night Owl, who's, a bat, who's essentially, you know, the Batman figure. You've got Silk Spectre, who... We see we encounter Hem Muller, who's the original Silk Spectre, and she's yeah. kind of like Hollywood nineteen thirties, nineteen forties cheesecake. Yeah, you know she's you know she's painted on the side of a B fifty two bomber there to keep the guys on the front line happy, kind yeah. of thing. So there's an element there where it, it looks in its own way because it was you know put together in the early nineteen eighties at the kind of sexism of this of this universe. The interesting th- one of the numerous interesting things about the, about the comic series is although it's a whodunit which turns into a conspiracy. It's not actually a plot comic. It's a character comic. It's a series of character studies of these bizarre individuals asking the question, what would the world be like if individuals like this existed? Because, you know, as a comics fan, I'm like, you know, as a kid, I'd be like, wouldn't it be great if the Fantastic Four existed? Wouldn't it be great if the Incredible Hulk existed? And actually... It would be terrifying. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. And there's only one actually super-powered character in Watchmen, and that's Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is just extremely fit, well-educated or rich, yeah. you know, or insane. Yeah, yeah, you know, their superpowers yeah. are that they are driven by psychological factors. So what Watchmen, the comic series shows, is that the presence of even one superhero, even one abnormally superpowered character in the world would upset the balance of all reality. Yeah. The Cold War was determined by the presence of Dr. Manhattan, a man who can obliterate a city with a wave of a hand or a thought and might not even notice that he'd done it. And there's a great bit in, in the comic, which is reprised in also the Also created by man. Atomic research creates Dr. Manhattan. Mm. He falls into a field removal, which is essentially removing the intrinsic fields between atoms. He's disassembled and reassembles himself as this god. Yeah. But what this has done is it has completely distorted the Cold War. Richard Nixon is still president in 1985 after serving five turns. Um, we are sort of, you know, we, we tend to think that the presence of a superpowered, omnipotent individual would render war obsolete. And it'll never no, the, the, the doomsday clock is at five minutes to midnight. Yeah. And the only thing holding everything in place is Dr. Manhattan is there as the guarantor of American victory. And then Dr. Manhattan disappears. Mm-hmm. And the story then goes on to look at how and why and what it means. But more than that, it looks into the heads of each of these characters. Yeah. Even the inscrutable alien mind of Dr. Manhattan to ask, what would it be like to be this person? Yeah. And that, that, to me, that's, that's what fiction is for. How do, what's it like to be that person? Whether it's a character from Middlemarch or whether it's a character from Watchmen, we put ourselves in other people's heads. Now, listeners uh, who are probably more used to, I guess, something like The Boys or, or even kind of Thrones or, you know, listeners are previously on are here because of Peakies or Stranger Things might be thinking, bloody hell, this is a bit heavy for a, for a kind of HBO thing. But I think now's the time that we go, okay, so that is in essence what the, what the, the, the comic books mm. were about. Then, but this is a this is a kind of this is a a, a story that's had several iterations. My actual inter, uh, introduction to this was as a really early app on the iPhone, where it's one of wow. the first moving 
comic book. Really? One of the first moving comic book novels <laughs> where you could touch it and it kind of the panels shot along and speech bubbles appeared and it kind of slowly kind of animated. That's how I read the comic novel, first Crikey. of all. It was great. Mm. Um, but it's, it's it, it, like you say, it's not an action-driven, plot-driven, uh, neatly wrapped up and resolved superhero story. Yeah, it's it's dialogue, it's uh, it's character, um, it's it's motivation, and that's why the Zack Snyder movie, yeah. which was made in two thousand and nine, uh, there's a lot that's good about it. It's in, it tries to be faithful to the look and feel. Mm. Unfortunately, it's let down by shockingly bad acting almost yeah. across the board. It looks, I mean, it looks fantastic. It looks as you imagined it would look. Well, I mean, as someone who's read the comic over and over again, I, I, I watched it and thought, that's that panel, that's that panel, yeah. that's that page, that's that spread. The, de- the cinematography and the degree of recreation of Dave Gibbons and uh, Dave Gibbons's vision is stunning. And, D- and Gibbons actually did work on the movie. Right, okay. He was there in an advisory capacity. He is on board. Alan Moore's never been on board for any of the adaptations. But... Um, I think that um, you know the various iterations that you've seen. The key, the key, the key changes the Zack Snyder movie, right? Where the ending is different. Both the movie and the comic book end in a major catastrophic catastrophic events, yeah, which shock and appall the entire cast of characters. And without giving too much away, it puts their superheroism into sharp relief. It shows them how tiny and meaningless it is. Yeah. A very, very big thing happens that changes the world. Personally, I think the ending of the movie is better because it's more intrinsic to the characters, Mm -hmm. the cast of characters. For HBO, you have the major controversial question of how do you continue a story that ended definitively? We know very little about what's going to happen. I think it's safe to assume that they don't want this to be a limited series, that they, well, would, that they would like this to That's uh, the, That's the massively on. problematic thing about it, because to, to my mind, Watchmen, the comic series, is fantastic because it does what comics never, ever do, which is end. Yeah. It, it, it knows what it wants to say, it says it, and it leaves the stage. Mm-hmm. Much as Avengers and Infinity War and Endgame did, it, they knew where they were going with that series, they ended it in a way that was truly satisfying. Yeah. Novelistic television tends not to do that. It gives on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And actually... Ironically, Jamie, there very nearly was a 12-part series of Watchmen in the 80s, 90s. Was there really? Terry Gilliam. Because the film oh, wow. was, went through millions of pairs of hands. Paul Greengrass was going to direct yeah. it at one point. And there was a point when Terry Gilliam was attached to it. And he said, I can't do this as a movie. It's got to be a 12-part television series. So wow. that's like HBO in 1990. But of course, the superstructure wasn't there. The business wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. The idea that you could say, hey, I've got a great idea. The money wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. But also, superheroes are relatively at a low ebb. Yeah. I mean, you tend to forget that from... Basically, well, that, that would have been about the same time that Condor Man was. <laughs> yeah, yeah was and the effects just were not, were not up to it. So basically, Watchmen and also The Dark Knight by Frank Miller were a kind of a false dawn for adult comics in right. about 1986, 1987. We thought it was going to bring in a new era of comics that everybody would read and, and adults would read. And actually, what really happened was it just became a huge speculative bubble and, and comics yeah. kind of fell off the cliff. Marvel nearly went bankrupt and all this kind of thing. And, and, and actually, the movies didn't come together until about 10, 15 years later. So pitching. A 12-part amazing Watchmen in 1987, 1988 would be a bit like rocking up in 1979 and saying, I've got um, George R.R. R. Martin's Incredible Sword and Sorcery. Uh, That'll never work. Let's make it on the budget of rent You know, it might not. <laughs> the famous unseen pilot of Game of Thrones was rumoured to be exactly that. Well, 
as a long, long-time Doctor Who fan, particularly old-school Doctor Who fan, I'm here to tell you the sets don't matter. It's all about the acting, darling. The <laughs> acting is what it's all about, darling. But anyway, back to back to the movie and back yeah. to the iterations coming from HBO. So the movie also ends pretty definitively. The world has changed. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's it's never going to be the same again. And superheroes are not really... Superheroes have been debunked. Yeah. So not only have we seen them debunked in a psychological manner, one of the key things we discover, by the way, is that... Um, the motivation to dress up as an owl or a silk spectre is often a kind of weird psychosexual one. They're kind of getting off and running around in tight costumes. I mean, wouldn't you? Well, absolutely. <laughs> what you do in your private life is your own business, Jamie. Um, so basically, we have entered a bigger world. So what they're going to do with this, I don't know. From what I've seen from trailers, yeah. so there's like legions of uh, of police in a kind of a Rorschach, Rorschach mask. Yeah, it's... And it looks as though it's going to be more of a cultural movement. I'm, I'm seeing... I'm kind of getting the feeling of things like V for Vendetta-ish style. Yeah. Uh, Which is another comic movie's trope, isn't it? Yeah. That like, the villain inspires loads of people to imitate them. Well, we're recording this in the week that the Joker hits the cinema. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, effectively, I think what they're, they're extrapolating the Watchmen world. Yeah. Um, and I believe Adrian Veidt is still alive in this, is he? I believe so, yeah. yes. So Adrian Veidt, played by Matthew Good in the movie, yeah. in the style of young Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, is again not to give too much away, but pivotal to the narrative and not not in a way that you'd expect. He's still around and he's played by Jeremy Irons. Let's have a look. Let's go. Let's go through the cast. Uh, So we have got uh, we've got Francis Fisher, uh, who's playing Jane Crawford. We have got Louis Louis Gossett Jr. who's playing Will Reeves. Uh, Andrew Howard, who's Red Scare. Very few of those names are meaning anything to me from the world of Watchmen, apart from Adrian Veidt. So the suggestion at the end of the original series, both in comics and movies, is that we're going to be going into a peaceful world. Yeah. And it's going to be peaceful on a balance of terror mm-hmm. that we are going to be so terrified by an external threat yeah. that war will seem pointless and the divisions between the communist Eastern and capitalist West will dissolve. Actually, what we saw in, in real life was that a huge external threat came in, in, in and actually occurred in New York in 2001 and it didn't bring the world together at all. No, it made things worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So in that respect, the TV series may be onto something. There is there's, there is one mention of Rorschach throughout the whole of this cast list and it's yeah. just called a Rorschach guard. The implication of some of the trailers I saw was that essentially, you know, Rorschach is the, has become the emblem of the private police. Yeah. That, that, uh, and which is interesting because Rorschach's moral dimension, which is which is more black and white than you could possibly imagine. You know, you're either obeying the law or you, you deserve to be thrown down a lift shaft. Yeah. Um, you can very much see that in contemporary ideas from authoritarians and populists. Look at Duarte, I'd shoot a drug dealer myself. Listen to Trump, let's shoot illegal immigrants in the knee. Yeah. Um, look at Pretty Patel, we want criminals to fear us. You know, Rorschach is a powerful individual because he is an archetype. It's an immature teenage archetype of like, you know, what if I was in charge, I'd really kick some yeah. ass. And Why can't we just out. give all the homeless houses? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. well, actually, you know, more like, can't, can't we just like machine gun everybody we disagree with? You know, it is neo-fascistic. Yeah. And I believe in, there's a point in uh, Watchmen where they're discussing the comedian, the, fake, the the character who's murdered at the start. And he's basically a government black ops individual who commits atrocities across Vietnam and across the world. And I think Night Owl is saying, well, you know, Edward Blake, the comedian, I mean, the guy was practically a Nazi. Yeah. And Rorschach says he stood up for what he believed in and he did his duty. You might as well call me a Nazi too. I think you, before we recorded this podcast, you mentioned the idea that is Rorschach the audience? Is Rorschach yeah, the well, figure? Yeah, well, it's something that I, I always try and work out who, not whose side we're supposed to be on, but who are we supposed to be watching this alongside? Or, who's our or proxy? Who's, who's, yeah. who's, who's who are our, our eyes? Yeah. And 
Is it Rorschach? There's an innate reason why Rorschach isn't the narrator, um, because for a good, you know, one third, or, or rather our proxy, because he does narrate it, but, you know, he's not our eyes. Because yeah. for a good one third to half of the book, we actually don't know who he is. And then yeah. we discover, to our surprise, it's somebody that we are relatively familiar with. Yeah. I think this is what you, the, 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 the book, the comics, have a kind of a Greek chorus of regular Joes mm-hmm. um, who comment on the action, describe what's going on. They don't really appear in the movie because the movie's already two hours and 45 minutes long. Yeah. And, and it takes and huge chunks. You know what it feels like as well. It does, yeah. yeah. Um, so we don't have in the movie what we have in the comic, which is a, a, a guy who runs a newsstand and a kid reading the comics by the newsstand who comment on things and discuss things. We also hop in and out of newsrooms as people discuss what's going on there. For me, in, in the movie and the comic, there isn't really a, a, a point of view uh, there isn't an, a, a character that we identify with and we follow through the story. There's no one consistent character that that is in every scene of the action, for instance, yeah. as is often, often the case. Do you think they'll have to put that character into the into the series? No, because I, I think we are... Novelistic television now is so well adapted and audiences are so well adapted to multi-character, multi-strand narrative. I don't think you need your hand-holding. I mean, anybody who can... If you can follow Game of Thrones, if you can follow Breaking Bad, yeah. if you can follow we say that. any of these things, we say but that. these are some of the most popular television, but if you can follow Mad Men, you can follow this. But the person in charge of HBO's Watchmen is the daddy of uh, complexity, who polarised a lot of people with Lost. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the ending, I was fully on board. Right. Uh, hello, Hurley and Ben, <laughs> still with you. But there were a lot of eyebrows raised uh, when he was given the gig. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it, but I don't think he's going to be... I mean, take something like Westworld, for instance, which yes. is so uncompromising in terms of its narrative and expects the audience to do a hell of a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to... Do you think that's going to be the same here? I hope so. Yeah. Because I don't want to... You know, I think one one thing that's happened since the comic and um, the Zack Snyder movie in 2009 is that the world is not just acculturated to superheroes. That is no longer a weird nerd world that people understand. Yeah. These are, you know, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Spider-Man. These are some of the most well-known characters in the entire world. Now. Yeah. Not just what they look like, but also their psychological motivations and who they are. So people are acculturated to that, but they're also acculturated to complicated television. Yeah. No, you know, and no that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's in the wrong way of going. Yeah. I'm, you know. But this is why the movies are so unsatisfying. These days. like two hours, really? Is that all you got? Yeah. And actually, in order to get everything into two hours, you have to truncate character arcs, uh, you know, flatten everything out, make them less complex. And, you know, we may find, I hope, we finally get in that Terry Gilliam vision of the, of the true complexity there. I have an issue with making a sequel to this at all right. because I think it was a story that ended perfectly. Okay. To me, it's a bit like saying, well, what happened, what happened next in the world of Hamlet? Well, do you you think, know, do you well think they're that... all dead. You don't need to know what happened next. Well, there's two ways it could go. So either hmm. this ends up being like a five-series uh, story of basically a, an elongated version of the book. Mm-hmm. Or what, more likely what I think will happen is that the end of the first season will be the end of this, the, the, the ending that we kind of vaguely know about already. And then it branches off. Well, I'm there. told that, you know, I'm, I've, I've, I'm under the impression that it is actually a continuation of the movie world, right? So it's not a, it's not exactly... So a, we're not getting an origin. It's not a reboot. Right. It is an arm's length sequel in that, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a sequel in the sense I, that... I didn't know that. Fuck. That's just the impression I get. We can keep going with that. Okay, yeah, keep going. Yeah. The, the impression I've got from the very, very limited stuff that's come out, which, you know, 
And you'd, you'd have to be like me who made this sort of stuff. Well, like, we're anyway, having to do this. You know, we've both got little bits of info, but we're having to do this pretending that we know nothing because generally, yeah. if, you, if you go steaming in saying, it's this. Yeah. I've, I've, but I'm I've happy with that because I wanted to be, a, you know, like I said, I've got an issue with them doing it at all because it's a bit like, it's a bit like going, well, what's just to the left of the Mona Lisa? Yeah. What, are we, what did he miss out? You know. What happened to her the next day? Yeah. You know? What happened when she wasn't smiling? When yeah. she wasn't quite so happy? <laughs> I think it's a little bit, slightly bit disrespectful. In that and actually DC Comics have just done their own sequel uh, called Doomsday Clock. Yeah which is immensely crass and unpleasant because what they do is they take the characters of the Watchmen universe and using comic book-ology to port them across into the world of Superman and Batman. So they're just what? like more pieces of IP, you oh, know. Dear. So Doctor Manhattan is now just another superhero running around, sort of, oh. you know, elevating cities and teleporting people into the sun. It's like, so you've taken some of the most real characters to come out of comic books. I don't think the most real because I think the movie realization of the Marvel cast are the most human and believable. But some of the most real characters, and you've kind of reduced them to the level of just another member of yeah, yeah, yeah. the Justice Society of America. So yeah. I find that I thought that was that was kind of insulting to Alan Moore's original idea. This I'm hoping, because I've read what Lindelof has said, and he clearly absolutely is every bit as much of a fan and a lover of the Watchmen universe as, as, as I am. He seems to be doing it with a lot of respect. Yeah. And his respect entails not simply trying to redo what was done before. Yeah. Well, woe be tired if you try and take on a much-loved thing and, uh, and don't pay it any respect. Many have, many have fallen at that particular Yeah, level. well, I mean, uh, uh, to me, the most, the most respectful thing you can do is to do your own take on on the events yeah put your head above the parapet and yeah. give your own impression of yeah it. and yeah. give and give people as much to think about and chew on as the as the original series did i mean the boys is an interesting one to talk about have you seen the boys i haven't seen the boys i so wasn't the, a fan of the comic I, so I, the, well the boys i'm just thinking from purely from a tv point of view so the boys has has, has filled quite a lot of that gap which yeah. which you know tone is completely different but takes that that premise which is if superheroes were here, not quite on a, on the same existential level in terms of like yeah. it would disrupt everything and it would be a nightmare. But you know we expect them to be the saviors. But what if they're what if they're, well, they're a bunch of dicks? What if yeah. they're a bunch of dicks? Well, actually, this is a common trope that comes from comics writers, and the reason it comes from them is because they're sick of writing superheroes. Yeah, I like that. Pat Mills, the kind of co the creator of 2000 AD, the co creator of Judge Dredd, um, one of you know the the one of the great British comic comics writers. Did a brilliant series called Martial Law, and Martial Law made Judge Dredd look like Will Young. You know, he, this is a guy <laughs> who ran around the ran around San Francisco or San Futuro uh, in kind of full on leather fetish gear with barbed wire wrapped around his arm, and his job was to kill superheroes. Wow! I'm a hero hunter. I hunt heroes. I haven't found anyone yet. Haven't found any real heroes, and that was he basically, you know, takes down a Superman surrogate, takes down a Batman surrogate takes down a Fantastic Four, so it's amazing, bilious stuff. Brilliant. So it's some, comic writers do this a lot because yeah, they yeah, really yeah. don't like... What they don't like is having to work on somebody else's idea. Right. What they like to do is create their own things. And Alan Moore, in his own way, works through his own feelings about superheroes in, in, in Watchmen, which is, yeah, he loves that kind of dazzling 1930s, 1940s innocence of it, but he also sees that there's something kind of sick at the base of it. I can't bloody wait. You know, I, I, I didn't... I tried a bit of DC's Doomsday Clock series and so strongly disliked it, I didn't stick with it. I'm going to give this a go mm -hmm. because it seems to me that they're going at the ideas with a bit of honesty and a bit of 
uh, ruthlessness towards the ideas. I mean, there's a lot... There it lot, also looks amazing. It does look amazing. It does look amazing. I mean, there's a lot in original Watchmen that hasn't really worn very well. Like, the sexual politics of it are not yeah. great. There's a pivotal rape scene. You look at it and you go, really? Did that uh, pass muster? Yeah. Um, you know, there are things in there that you think twice about. But there is definitely one thing that's going into the TV series that was excised from the movie. There's a whole parallel narrative in the in the comic series about pirates. About pirates on the high seas. Pirates? Let me tell you why, Jamie. I can see you're puzzled. In the world of Watchmen, because superheroes are real, people read pirate comics. They don't want to read superhero comics. They read comics about pirates. They Holy read shit. the, the Black Freight. Of course. What do you read when, you, when exactly. there are superheroes in yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you? It, it, it'd be like reading comic books about <laughs> Brexit. You know, it's around you everywhere. You're fucking sick of the sight of it. Yeah. So in the world of Watchmen, comic books are about, about pirates. And a good sort of 15% of the, of the page count, or maybe 10% of the page count of Watchmen, is, is a pirate comic, which... Uh, shows a man going through a journey of what he thinks is salvation that turns out to be abject horror, which parallels the story very closely. And from the trailer, I can see there's pirate stuff in here. There's nah, pirates in there. So lovely. In that, so Lindelof is really delivering on that end. He's, he's thrown he's thrown yeah. you a bone. One last point I want to make, though, about, on. about Rorschach. If Rorschach were around now, yeah. Rorschach would be a full-on edgelord, shitposting meme jockey. He'd have his own <laughs> alt-right website He'd be. He's he, Milo. He's Milo. He make he would make Breitbart look like the lady. He's he is that extreme right figure. And we thought at the time that he was a relic of Nixon's era, but actually, what we can see now is a he was a he was a harbinger yeah. of what we've got now. The yeah. world is full of because Rorschach being this terrible sort of adolescent wish fulfillment character, you know that's what I'd do. If it, well, no, he's a he's a wreck of a man. He's a broken man. He has he has nothing but this pointless quest to impose an antiquated one-dimensional view. Complete polarised. Yeah, kind yeah. Of, yeah. So, wow. and, and be interesting to see how that is recontextualised yeah. in a world where basically that guy's more or less the president right now, or, or at least he's got the president's ear. Andrew Harrison, thank you so much, buddy. You have, uh, you've certainly given a lot of food for thought. Uh, I'm still really excited about it, and I'm sure that people now are going into that going holy shit, there's a lot of depth. To this. There's a lot to chill on. This is, this is not uh, Silver Surfer. If you're listening and you haven't read Watchmen, then read it. Would you advise people to read this before watching the HBO? I'd advise anybody to read it full stop. Well, but, yes, but, yeah. but, but, in, but order, think, in order to get up to speed. Yes, I think so, because there's so much that's incredible about it, not just in the envisaging of the world, but also at the basic level of it shows you what a comic can do. Yeah. It can do things movies can't do. It can do things no other form of communication can do. Um, and it will certainly set that world out before you. And there are things in it that will just will drop your jaw and blow your mind. And it's still also a rattling good Pulp Fiction story. Um, I don't think that the, the Lindelof series will need to be entirely consistent with it. Uh, it shouldn't be. Lindelof should, should yeah. do what he can Crack with it. Crack on. Go yeah. forth. But I would say, yeah, treat yourself. Andrew, how can people find you in podcast world? I uh, present and produce Big Mouth, where we talk about telly, films, music, in very much the style that you and I just talked about it right now. I also produce Romaniacs, the anti-Brexit podcast, which, which actually has surprising amounts of comic books in there. You would be surprised. Nigel Farage is basically Thanos. Andrew, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. People who wear masks are driven by trauma. They're obsessed with justice because of some injustice they suffered. Ergo, the mask. It hides the pain. I wear the mask to protect myself. Right. From the pain. There was a cavalry-involved shooting last night. You gonna give me the speech now? 
What speech? I should calm down, take a breath, or we're Oregon. No. There's a guy in my trunk. Delightful. Put him in the pod. You know why you're here? Some gun kicked in my door and put me in the trunk of our fucking car. What the hell? Hey! That is correct. I want my lawyer. Yeah, we don't have to do that with terrorists. Why would they start this shit up again? Maybe there was something they didn't want found. They had a mission. It's only just begun. Cavalry has our names and addresses. Just run and scare. Are we safe, Angela? Each place we go. There's a vast and insidious conspiracy. Have I told you about it? Your head would explode. What is this? This is the only way to show you the truth. You need to help stop the 7th Cavalry. I'm doing what? Those fuckers are trying to start a war. Looks like you got things under control here. Full costume. Thanks. Just run and Well, hello there. Thank you very much to uh, Andrew. Uh, lovely talking to him. I would imagine uh, if we if we have more talk about it with Watchmen, which I would imagine we will over the next few weeks. Uh, I might try and persuade Andrew to come back and let us know what his thoughts are, having seen uh, a few of the episodes. I am currently, as you may be able to hear by the noise of traffic and stuff, uh, sat in my car. Uh, and uh, such is the power of being able to record anywhere. I have just this second finished watching episode one of Watchmen, uh, HBO, and just thought I would give you my initial kind of knee-jerk, immediate, uh, non-spoilery reactions to it. So as suspected, uh, it is it is very much a continuation of of the Watchmen universe rather than a, a sequel to the actual story. Uh I'm going to I'm going to start off by saying right it's going to you're going to know within 5 minutes whether you whether you like this or not. I look, look I loved it. It was it was a lot more I guess actiony than I was expecting. The the even though Lindelof is 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 a genius and, and a master at creating layers and subplots and uh, character arcs and point of views from different people. Uh, he's also shown here that he can do a ripping good uh, action yarn when he when he feels like it. So, on the face of it, you see uh, what is kind of like a futuristic kind of cop thriller, uh, in which there is an uprising as as we discussed there is an uprising from the alt right movement uh, who all um, enjoy dressing as uh, Rorschach he seems to be their martyr uh, the cops have to disguise themselves in these amazing kind of uh, yellow um kind of snoods um in order to to protect their identities because they're being targeted by what well, the terrorists really aren't they 
Don Johnson uh, is excellent as uh, as the kind of chief of police. The, the, the resurgence of, of Don Johnson's career is, is is just fantastic. If you have not seen Knives Out, which you won't have yet, that's coming out very, very soon. Uh, the Rian Johnson Who Done It, in which Don Johnson is in, is so good. So, so very, very good. Uh, so he's in it. It is, it is very much, though, uh, Regina King's, uh, certainly the first episode was as well. Her character, uh, the Silent Knight, is just cool. Like proper, proper cool. I'm gonna. There are elements of Mr. and Mrs. Smith there. The kind of secret identity, the kind of uh, the family, the family mom, um, who by night uh, dons this proper kick-ass kind of costume and uh, and gets out there. Takeaways from me were that um, as a white man, I'm probably not best uh, placed to give an emotional commentary on on. On the opening scenes, you know, we, we're, we're taken straight back. We're thrown into um, a kind of flashback of uh, the Tulsa massacre. I think it was in, in 1921. I think if my Googling has, um, has been correct there. It opens with a depiction of that, of that massacre, which was a huge uh, turning point uh, for in American history and, 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 and civil rights and all the rest of it. So it opens up on that and, and gives you some indication of what Lindelof is trying to is trying to talk about, um, it's very very current and up to date in terms of what's going on out there in the world, certainly in us in America, uh, and you know it's one of those ones where yes, it's set in a in a kind of I guess a parallel universe, but yeah, we're kind of dealing with that the same old shit over here as well. Um, so takeouts for me was that Regina King's character is fantastic. The costumes are a cosplayer's dream. Cosplayer's dream. The effects are really good. I mean, one of the masks is, is this, um, is this just kind of like all-in-one kind of silver lame mask, which just looks super, super cool. I, there, will be, there will be one of those awful Instagram adverts flogging knockoff versions of it, I would imagine, within, within by, by the end of Tuesday next week. You see a fair few familiar faces there. There are a few hints in terms of the vehicles used. Uh, there are some flashes. Certainly, we 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 caught a glimpse of a, watch out for a glimpse of a of a of a Rorschach drawing, a Rorschach painting uh, depicting a Mothman. There was a certain uh, excellent kind of spaceship that you will recognise if you're a fan of the comic books. Um, and I, I, I believe a, a, a kind of a sneaky, I got a snap of, you get a snap of Dr. Manhattan as well. Um, the theme tune, I wanted to talk about the theme tune. It's Knight Rider. Have a listen to it. When you watch it, tell me it's not Knight Rider. It's proper 80s. Dinning, dinning, dinning. Really enjoyed that. Uh, what else did I enjoy? Oh my God. So Jeremy Irons kind of pops up in these, these almost kind of like parallel story vignettes. And they're just amazing. They're proper weird. There's a, I think there's a scene in this where he tries to cut a, a cake with a horseshoe. And honestly, it's slightly surreal. And that, for me, is, is Lindelof's brilliance. Is in, you kind of got that with, with, uh, with Lost, didn't you? You know, you just you have these kind of surreal kind of um, segues where you're just completely blindsided. You know, back then it was just a polar bear. Now it's Jeremy Irons trying to cut a cake with a with a with a horseshoe, and it's all the better for it. Um, so you don't need to watch the film or read the comic at all. Although uh, comic uh, book readers will be happy to know you do see a raining squid or two. Uh, but hopefully this podcast uh, has given you some 
insight into the thought behind it. Uh, it's Lindelof. So if you love Lost and the Leftovers as much as I did, you're on pretty safe ground here. You get lots of different people's perspectives. Um, I, I, I've read that a few of the future episodes are given purely from different characters' perspectives in as much of the same way as Lost did that as well, very, very well. Um, but I think you've got to take it however you want. So you can you can take this as either a gritty kind of superhero cop thriller, you can take it on a statement of the state of the alt-right movement around the world, uh, you can look at, you know, you can take the, the civil rights movement of the early 20s in America and see what's what how much has changed or indeed how little has changed. Um, but it's a, a similar vein to the comics. Who's watching The Watchmen? Uh, well, I am going to be, that is for sure, and I hope you will too. Listen, I will see you definitely, definitely, definitely next week on Previously On, uh, when I'm going to be joined by Sister Knight herself, Regina King. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, and if you like me, hello, I'm Jamie East, by the way, do go and check out my other podcast. I do a non-kind of TV uh, podcast called The Daft Doris. Uh, you can find that in all of your, your regular kind of podcast places. Uh, I would very much enjoy your support there if you just head over there and uh, and, and get me in your ears definitely every single week. And I, I, I do chat uh, quite a lot of uh, shit, but hopefully it's relatively uh, funny uh, shit. Uh, I'd very much enjoy it if you came over and, uh, and listened to that podcast too. But if you don't, then that's absolutely fine too. Listen, uh, do like this though. Do rate it. Please uh, share it. If you see any conversations happening about Watchmen, just point them in this direction because hopefully this will be some help. And obviously we've got Regina coming on next week. We'll be able to shed some light on the making of it and, and, and what, what the future holds in store for Sister Night. Uh, this has been Previously On. I've been Jamie East. Have yourselves a great time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin. While the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. 
Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.